Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I lay the foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written, "He catches the wise in their craftiness." And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos. Or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future—all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Thank you, Eamon. I've got uh, three clocks around me at the moment, and uh, they all say that it's only ten to ten. So uh, the good news is that we've got a bit over an hour between us. Uh, so settle in. Let's pray. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you because you are the God who made heaven and earth, uh, the God who made us, and the God who has called us into a relationship uh, with himself through the gospel of Jesus, through his death and resurrection. Uh, and Lord, we pray uh, that as we stop now and reflect on your word, that you would speak to us by it, that you would... Teach us what it means to live as your holy and saved people, set apart for your glory. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want you to uh, imagine for a moment with me a soccer team. Uh, and they have some of the best players going around, uh, some of the, uh, the best t- players in the competition. But the problem is that instead of being one team, there's about three teams within that one team. There are three, three mini-teams Each of the mini-teams has its own leaders, and each of those mini-teams has their own playing strategy. Uh, Imagine that team trying to play a game and win uh, the competition. One mini-team would be trying to do one thing, that maybe they're trying to work up through the middle uh, and score from there. Another one's kind of trying to run up the side and cross in and uh, score that way. One's playing one-on-one defence, another's playing a zone defence. Another one of the mini-teams rocks up in netball gear and they refuse to run and they try and pick up the ball and throw it to each other. It's a stupid uh, illustration, obviously, but oddly familiar, actually, if you've ever played uh, in any sporting team. The problem is that our sinful nature, our sinful human nature, divides us. We want to all go in our own different directions and that causes problems when we have to play together as a team. That causes problems in sport. It also causes problems in the church. And in 
this book of 1 Corinthians that we're beginning today is a book written to a church that is struggling to play as a team. There's lots of issues in the church. Uh, there's, we'll see that over the coming w- weeks. Um, there was sexual immorality that no one did anything about. There were disputes between follow, fellow Christians. Some of them were taking each other to court. Uh, they were just new Christians and they were really struggling to know what it meant to live as Christians in a very ungodly society. But one of the main issues that we come up against and which comes up right away in this first passage that Newman read for us, one of the first issues, one of the biggest issues, is that they are divided, that they're not playing as one team in Christ. But before Paul gets into addressing their divisions, he begins by reminding them of what they have in common. He begins by reminding them of what they have in the gospel. So in verses 1 to 9, the first nine verses of this letter that Paul writes, he heaps up all these statements about exactly who these Christians in Corinth were. Uh, They are, he says, the church of God in Corinth. That is, they're the people gathered by God. To be a church was to be an assembly. They were gathered by God through the good news of what God had done in Jesus. They are those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That is, they are set apart to belong to God and set apart for God's service. In the Old Testament, the priests were sanctified. That is, they are set apart as holy for God. They've been called to be God's holy people. They've been called through the gospel to imitate the very character of God. God says, be holy as I am holy. They belong not to themselves, but to all God's people everywhere. They've been enriched in every way in Jesus, with all kinds of speech and knowledge. They lack no spiritual gift. God will keep them firm to the end, and Paul says, will present them blameless to himself on the last day. They've been called into fellowship with God's son, Jesus. As we'll see in a moment, Paul goes on to discuss the divisions that there were in the church in Corinth, but he begins by reminding them of what they possess in Christ, what they've been called to in Christ. And the reason he does that is because one of the reasons that divisions occur in any church or any organisation is because we forget what it is that joins us together. We we raise our secondary identities to be our primary identity. We substitute our primary identity, who we are in Christ, with other things. So think about uh, this question for a moment. If someone asked you, came up to you and asked you to describe the branch, what would you say about that? How would you describe the branch? What would you say about it? Uh, Maybe you'd highlight the location. Uh, We're next to the bowling alley. Where's the bowling alley again? Uh, You might highlight just the name. Maybe you talk about the facilities or the music, the style of music, uh, or the preacher, or the worship style, or the programs that the church runs, or the demographics, uh, or particular people maybe. In fact, many of the things that we might be inclined to mention tend to be the kinds of things that often lead 
us as Christians to divide amongst ourselves. But it's interesting to reflect on how many of those things do you think Paul might mention if he was to write to our church? If he was writing one, the branch, what would he say? Well, here is the most important things, I think, that he would talk about, the most important things that we can say about the branch. We are the church of God in Innocent Street, called by the gospel into a relationship with God. We are those sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart for God and for God's service. We're those who have been called to be God's holy people, to imitate the very character of God, to be holy as God is holy. We're God's people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of God. We've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. We lack no spiritual gift. We're kept firm to the end by God's power. And one day we will be presented before God as holy and blameless through Jesus. Those things are true of all those here who belong to Jesus. Those are the most important things those, that is our primary identity. And we need to remain focused on that, Paul says, in order that we not be divided. So, Paul reminds them of that. He reminds them that they are God's special people, but as we saw when we read through the passage, things aren't quite what they should be. And he gets into it straight away in verse 10. He doesn't wait long, but he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He then goes on to say what the divisions are. He says, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. So the people of the church are picking sides. Some people follow one leader, some another leader. Some are saying, I follow Christ, which of course is what they should all be doing. But Paul doesn't actually commend them for saying that. He doesn't say, well, good on you people who say that you're following Christ. Well done to the Christ people. Uh, Everyone should be following Christ as well. So it seems that when Paul says, there are these people who do that, they are saying that in such a way that they too are being divisive. They're saying it in such a way that they're they're meaning by it, you know, we're better than you because we're following Christ and you're following these other people. There's still this sense of division in how they're talking about themselves. It seems that baptism too had become a particular issue Uh, who had been baptised by who, it seems maybe that they had a particular allegiance to the person who had baptised them and that that had sort of driven them to follow one leader rather than another. But whatever the, the case, the point is that they were divided and they were sort of giving their allegiance to different people, different leaders over and above others. And they were looking down their nose at people who followed different people to who they did. And Paul says to them, look, we, we can't live like that. We can't be divided like that. To, to follow this person over above that person is to imply that Christ is divided. 
that there's all these different bits. Uh, but, but, but Paul says Christ isn't divided. To be divided among ourselves, Paul says, is to live contrary to who we are in Christ. Christ has brought us together. God's plan is to reconcile us to God and to each other. It's like the soccer team playing against each other rather than playing against the opposing team. It's like an army fighting against itself. It doesn't make sense. So how might those things work out then in our church life? How might might those kinds of divisions work out uh, in our context? Unless I'm badly mistaken, and I may be, perhaps you'd like to come and correct me uh, afterwards. Unless I'm badly mistaken, I don't think that we have here that dynamic of people aligning themselves with one person over another. I think it's clear that we all follow me rather than Steve. Um, but I, I Steve would prefer it that way, probably. I, I don't think we have that dynamic for which we can be deeply thankful. But more common, I suspect, is not giving our allegiance to people within our local church community, but but perhaps giving our allegiance to those who are outside our church community. So we pick sides with our favourite preacher or our favourite blogger or whoever it is outside the church. So some might say, I follow John Piper or I follow John MacArthur. Saying to someone the other day, everyone seems to be John. You always have to follow someone who's called John. And you might follow somebody else, whoever, whoever it is. But the problem is, if we all follow our own internet pastor, it's very hard for a church to be united in mind and thought. It becomes even more problematic when we engage with our favourite uh, internet pastor or favourite author, whatever it is, whatever format it is, becomes even more difficult when we engage with those people uh, on our own, outside the context of relationship with others. It becomes quite difficult and quite dangerous because we end up in the echo chamber of our own favourite influential person. And there are no real people around us challenging those views. It's really important for us to have people around us who are hearing the same things together with us and who can say, that's actually really dumb. Or, that's really helpful, isn't it? Yes, let's all do that together. And so slowly over time, the church becomes a group of individuals who are following their favourite pastor, favourite influential internet person, rather than submitting to Christ under the leadership of their local church. In fact, I think that's probably one of the greatest dangers for division in the church today is not, in fact, people picking their favourite leader within the church or even picking their favourite leader outside the church. I think the greatest potential for division in the church today comes from everybody picking themselves as their favourite leader without reference to anyone else. Uh, We don't follow Paul or Apollos. Every man is their own Pope. 
But the purpose of the church is not to be individuals who can all come up with our own conclusions about everything. The purpose is so that we might together grow up in Christ. In fact, Paul doesn't just want the Corinthians not to be divided. He wants them to agree with one another. In everything, he says, perfectly united in mind and thought. We saw a similar idea in 1 Peter. It's a high goal. And to do that requires a community of people who together are sitting humbly under the word of God, sitting under it together. It requires a people who are engaging in it together, discussing it together. It requires humility and patience as we do that. It requires often long conversations. It requires at times correction and rebuke. But the purpose is so that we all might play together on the one team of God going in the one direction. So there were divisions because people were choosing sides. But those divisions that we find out about in chapter 1, also come up again in chapter 2, sorry, chapter 3. So in the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul moves on to talking about foolishness, the foolishness of the gospel, the apparent foolishness of the gospel. Fred will be preaching about that next week. Uh, But he comes back to this theme of uh, divisions among people in the church and allegiances to leaders in chapter 3. And he's continuing to show there why this allegiance to particular individuals is so empty. And the reason that he gives is because these church leaders are just servants. They're just ordinary people. He says in, um, in chapter 3, verse 5, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. God's given these different tasks to different people. Paul was to plant, Apollos was to water, but it was only God who actually made anything grow. The leaders are nothing. It's God who does the work. In fact, uh, as we'll see next week, when we look at chapter 2, God has deliberately chosen the weak and the foolish things of the world to achieve his purposes. So it's foolish to to put your lot in with a particular person because they seem like a wonderful leader because God has actually chosen the opposite things often to achieve his purposes. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 21, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. In other words, don't put your trust in weak and foolish human leaders and don't despair, on the other hand, because of weak and foolish leaders, trust in God. Paul makes that same point back in chapter 1. He says that by picking sides, they were putting their leaders in the place of God. Paul says, was I crucified for you? Were you baptised into my name? Paul and Apollos, you and I, are just builders on the job site. We don't come up with the plans. We're just farmers planting the seed and watering the crop. We don't decide when the crop will grow or even if it will grow. We don't decide whether the wind will be too strong on any particular day or whether the frost will come and destroy the harvest right before it's ready. 
God is the one who does it. We just work. We're just working in the fields. God is the one who makes it grow. And yet, so easily, we forget that, don't we? We put our trust in the people around us. I think, oddly, as always, there's two opposite ways of us putting our hope in people rather than God. One is the obvious way. We put our hope in the, in the people who are in front of us. So when the, those people are doing well, we feel like we're doing well. If the, if the pastor or the leadership team or the, the ministry leader is doing well, then we feel like the church is doing well and the church will succeed uh, and that we in our own lives will grow and do well. Uh, and if they're not going well, then we begin to fear that the church will collapse or our lives will collapse. It's the first way. We, that's how, one of the ways we put our trust in people. The other way that we put our trust in people, I think, is by putting our trust in the people that we don't have. <laughs> that is, we put our trust in the imaginary people that we wish we had. If only we had that person, we'd be amazing. If only we had someone like that, with those particular gifts and those particular qualities, then we would be humming. In my own life, in the life of the church, if only we had a better youth pastor or Sunday school leader or better preacher, better organiser, better strategist, someone who's more trendy, people who are better with the youth, people who are better with old people, just whatever it is. If only we had those people, we'd be right. But God says, no, they're just builders. God is the one who makes it grow. They're just farmers working the soil. God is the one who does the work. And Paul says, because of that, all things are yours. Because you belong to Christ, because you belong to God, everything is yours. You don't need to worry about what leader you have or don't have, whether it's Paul or Apollos, whether that person's better than this person. It doesn't matter. You've got everything that you could possibly need. Life, resurrection, the present, the future, it all belongs to you because you belong to God. So there were these divisions. They were following one leader above another. God is the real builder. But finally, Paul says, nevertheless, how you build still matters. So he says in verse 10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Each one should build with care. It's a team effort. Different people do different jobs. God is the one who makes it grow. But how you build still matters. It's not just how the leaders build. Paul zooms out here and says, each one. Each of us should care. Be careful to, to think about how we build. While the Corinthians are busy worrying about judging their leaders, Paul's better than Apollos or vice versa, Paul says everyone needs to be careful about how their own work will be considered by God. He says God will judge our work. God will judge your work, my work, 
our efforts in building his church. Why does Paul say this? Why is he saying it? Well, the temptation, I think, would be for us to think, well, God is the one who makes it grow. So that means I could just put my feet up and I'll just trust God. You know, just make some efforts here and there, just keep things turning over. But really, it's God who's going to make things grow. God's the one who's doing the work. But Paul says, no, God is the one who makes it grow, but you still are responsible for how you work. You'll be judged. The day of judgment will reveal how well you and I have built and invested in building God's church. He's not talking about the salvation unto judgment. Sorry, judgment unto salvation, I should say. He's not talking uh, that how you... uh, He's not saying that how you build the church will mean that you're saved or not saved. We're saved through faith in Christ Jesus, by his death and resurrection in our place. But he does say that some people who trust in Jesus will be singed on their way through to glory. How we build matters. Some people, he says, build with gold and silver and costly stones. Others build with um, wood, hay or straw. And the great day will show the quality of our workmanship. The quality that he's talking about is not so much a gold standard Sunday school craft versus a really poor one. Uh, he's not saying, you know, the paddle popsy craft will be shown up for what it is on the great day. The kind of quality that he's talking about covers three areas. The first of all is the, the, the content, and that is the gospel. Jesus is the foundation that Paul laid, Jesus is the foundation on which we're building. And we need to continue to build on that foundation with the gospel, with, as he's talked about in the chapters that we'll look at next week, with the gospel that represents the foolishness, what it seems to be foolishness. We need to build with God's wisdom that looks like foolishness to the world rather than human wisdom. Building that's based on human wisdom will be shown up for what it is on the day of judgment. Second, Paul says in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 5, that the day of judgment will also reveal the secret motives of our hearts. We need to build with the right things, the gospel of the foolishness, the cross. We also need to build with the right motivations. And third, Paul says, with respect to himself, in verse 10 of chapter 3, that he worked with the grace that God had given him. God had entrusted Paul with gracious gifts for a work. God had called him to a purpose. And he had a responsibility to use that, to use what God had entrusted to him. Think of the parable of the talents where where Jesus says, the master entrusts these gifts to these people to be used for the service of the kingdom. And the master comes back and wants to know what people have done with them. Paul says, we'll be judged. 
on how we've used what God has entrusted to us for the purpose of building his church. We need to build with the right materials, the apparently foolish message of the cross. We need to build with the right motivation and we need to build using faithfully the gifts that God has entrusted to us. I want to encourage you to think really hard and to pray really hard over this next week and maybe over the next few months, maybe for the rest of the year, to write it down on a piece of paper and to pray regularly through the week for the rest of the year that God would show you how you're building. How are you contributing to God's church? Are you you building with quality materials or are you building with wood, hay and straw? I don't mean are you on a roster or not at church. Those things I think are important too. They contribute to the building of the church. But what are you doing to serve others? In the context of the church, in your daily life, what are you doing to build up the body of Christ? What are you doing to pray for others, to support others, to encourage others, to speak the word of God to others? How are you building? One of our ministry leaders made a very interesting observation this past week uh, about people who volunteer, his experience of people who volunteer in the church. He said there's two kinds of people who volunteer in the church that they have to deal with. There are some people who volunteer and do everything in their power to make that work. They say, I'm committing to that and I'm working hard to make that happen. He said, then there are some other people who seem to view volunteering as their precious gift to the church that they can keep or withhold at their own discretion. People should be pleased whenever that gift becomes available. How are you building? Are you building well? gold and silver or you're building with wood, hay and straw the great day will show God wants us to be working together for the good of his church he doesn't want us to be divided working on our own little goals and aspirations following our own little path with ourselves as our leaders or somebody else as our mini leaders of our mini teams He wants us to be united by the gospel. United around him. And united in working together for the building of his church. Let's pray.